Hello and welcome to the MCU on repeat podcast. Today we're going to be looking at what many say is the best Spider-Man movie. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's the best Spider-Man movie. I, I love Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I love all the Spider-Man, but I got, I like a lot of it, but I also have my problems with it. I don't know about you. I think, I think it's the. A lot of people like to say that they like this movie the most because it's the most human Spider-Man movie. I would disagree. I think um, this movie kind of beats you over the head with the over-dramatization of like epic poems and like the the hero-ness of it all. Um, I just I don't think that it's the best, nor do I think it's the most human. I think I think these movies are the best when they're the most human, and I just I don't see that in this film, honestly. Right. Well, this movie is again directed by Sam Raimi and produced by everyone's favorite Spider-Man meddler and ruiner, Avi Arad, Laura Ziskin, and now newly titled executive producer (coughs) Kevin Feige. This, I believe, is his first credited role um, for producing a Marvel movie. Uh, Danny Elfman returns to compose from the first movie, and those opening credits accompanied by the most beautiful Alex Ross paintings to ever hit... The big screen. Yes. So uh, a small note on that. You know, um, when I was, when my wife was supposed to be like on the podcast, when we did watch this movie together, I was like, those look very familiar stylistically. I was like, I feel like I've seen a comic that looks exactly like oh, this. And I was like, holy I, shit, is that Alex Ross? It's Alex Ross, dude. Oh I have, I have a mini poster it's like very small. It's a uh, of Spider-Man and Daredevil from him, and I, it's like my favorite thing I own. Kingdom Come is the probably the most beautiful comic ever. It's so good, the way he draws and paints. I I love seeing like when he posts like his old artwork from when he was a kid on like social media. I'm like, man, everybody does start somewhere because like. He goes, I wasn't good, but keep practicing, guys. He, like, he's so, like, he tries to inspire future artists, and I love it. Yeah, if I was Joe Biden, that's the guy I'd want to paint my mural. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, they, the, they should just hire him to do the presidential paintings. Like, imagine walking through the White House, and you see Obama, and then you see Trump, and then you see Joe Biden standing there. Like Alex, like an Alex Ross painting. Uh, pop. <laughs> Alex Ross paintings. I I'd love to purchase one of those one day. Like if I could, if if I found one, I'd love to purchase one of those from the opening credits. Especially the one where he's like, where they show him like on the wall. I really like that one. Or there's a couple of them. I I'd, I'd love to just own. And I think I think it was incredibly smart of them to like use their resources which would be Alex Ross, instead of trying to do, like, a another CGI opening, like the first one. Like, yeah. this this really pulled you in because, yeah. first off, it's so freaking beautiful, but yet you're getting um, a recap of the first film. But also, you, you see some of uh, Danny Elfman strutting with, like, some of the, like, uh, new Doc Ock theme, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating, and that kind of delves into Doc Ock's character and kind of foreshadows his fate. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm just no. There, you're, there good. Are some, you're good. There are some film things I noticed in this movie that made me go, "Wow, that's really thoughtful and really, really cool." And then there were some things where I was just like, "I don't know who wrote this movie, but never again." 
you know. <laughs> we did watch we did watch 2.1. Yeah, right? we did we did watch the extended director's cut version of Spider-Man 2. Uh there's just some added stuff that I I like more in in this one than I do the theatrical version and I haven't watched the theatrical version probably since I saw it in theaters as a kid. <laughs> yeah, or when was... the DVD came out as a kid, I don't remember. And I was kind of butthurt. I was like, ah, oh, it's not 4K, but um, I don't use my Xbox for DVDs because I'm that, like, my ADHD is like, if you're going to watch a movie, you're going to watch a movie on something that plays movies. So. Right. Well, I get you. Uh, this movie had a budget of $200 million, and it made a whopping $789 million at the box office. And I know you like doing the scores. Um from from critical websites and whatnot, but Rotten Tomatoes had a 93% uh, critic score with an audience score of 82%. IMDb is 7.3 out of 10 and a Metacritic of 83%. Uh, so it seems to be all around the the same area. I mean, it's yeah. wildly consistent between ratings. And like you mentioned, it's wildly considered uh, the best Spider-Man movie and one of the best... It is movies of all time. Um, yeah, best comic book movies at least of all time. I mean, if you go to Spider-Man YouTube, this is that movie. Um, yeah, there there will be some detractors that say the Amazing Spider-Man Two is the best Spider-Man movie, um, but I, by and large, I lo- I like that movie, but I I would I wouldn't say it's the best Spider-Man movie. It's the oh, best see. visually looking Spider-Man movie. I, I will definitely give it that. See, and I think when we go to The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'm going to go up to bat with it for quite um, I, a bit. I love The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I do. I love almost all the Spider-Man movies. I just I don't think it's the best. <laughs> I think it's the best and the worst. Um, it's kind of like the feeling I got when I watched Batman v Superman in theaters, and of course 30 Minutes was cut out. I was like, yeah. wow, this is the best and worst comic book movie ever and i you know th- i think that came out in the same year as bvs um uh bvs came out 2016 came out the same year as civil war yeah and then 2017 was the amazing spider-man 2 right 2014 20 jesus christ because i remember watching homecoming came out 17 oh man Ugh. the amazing spider-man 2 came out in 2014 and i remember walking out of that movie and like i hated it i hated it it's garbage and then the next movie i saw in theaters was BVS and I was like never again never again and this was before like I I after oh my god then this was after the phase 1 of MCU because I was not impressed like you know Iron Man was great everything else I kind of hated um and I thought the first Avengers was okay honestly and uh, after that I'll give my thoughts on the phase 1 of the of the MCU when we get there because I I love Mine's a changed. movie that my I love one movie in that phase one so much, and it's considered the most forgettable movie, and some people don't even remember that it's part of the phase one. And I'm like, this is sad. I really like it. Is it Thor? Because I think Thor's... No. Lo- oh, okay. It's Hulk then. It definitely is. <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll give I'd... my thoughts when we get there. Okay. Well, my, my thoughts have drastically changed. First off, I got to say that Hulk has a, a better score like than it even has like the right to even have the music so good but thor might be my dark horse of phase one um as characters but i didn't really get back into the mcu until civil war and i watched that on like 
one, two, three movies. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm back in. I Let's do this. But, you know, it's a little tangent for you. I just, this movie, I just, I've got some issues. And this is where I'm going to start. It opens with Peter riding his bike. He's he's definitely late for for work. He's he's longing because he loves Mary Jane and he 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 has to he oh had boy. to give it up at the end of the last movie. He's like I can't be with you. I will be your friend. And then at this movie, okay, first of all, this movie takes place 2 years after the first one. Just to what let you know. 2 years and a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's passing like that perfume billboard and he's just and, and Joe's Pizza, <laughs> shout out to Mary a real Jane pizza place. Watson. I see Mary... her every day. Oh boy. Oh boy, yeah. I so he's late and he has to run, run those pizzas out. But he doesn't become Spider-Man until it's absolutely like deadline. Why wouldn't you just do that from the get-go? Well, I think I think you know, and the, I'm this this I mentioned it last last uh, episode. And I even provided an example from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It has to do with, like, I even wrote it down here. It says, context versus execution. I get that the filmmakers are trying to show us that Peter Parker wants to be Peter Parker and Spider-Man. But the way that it's executed is, like, nobody would try to be Peter Parker in that moment. And that's my, like, my problem with, like, the over-dramatization of, like, the epic poem in this movie is, like, Nobody practically would drive their scooter around New York knowing the traffic's going to be shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the only th- the only thing that was popping in my head that entire time is because is is uh the the pizza theme from the the video game that <laughs> If you if you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I was like I was rewatching this movie, and it never—it's never popped in my head before. But this entire time, all I could think is playing the video game. I'm like, man, I really want to play that game now. See, and you know what popped in my head, and I don't know why it did. It was a line delivery by the pizza owner. He's like, "If you don't deliver these pizzas, we're gonna lose our business, the Pizza Yurt." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> I see you." <laughs> yeah. Pizza Yurt. Oh jeez. Um. Well, he becomes Spider-Man, saves some kids. Is that's probably a really good. I like that moment. It's a really I good actually, Spider-Man moment. You don't like I, the, saving the kids I, thing? Here, here's the reason why I don't. Because it's it's kids. It's the same trope we've seen over and over and over. It's kids running into the street because they're incompetent and parents aren't watching them in the first Spider-Man movie. Why is there a little girl? Why is there, you know, in this movie too, why is there a little kid up in a building by itself without the parents? It's like it's context versus execution. You, I get what are you talking about in a building? Well, in, in this movie where spider or Peter goes up and saves that little girl from the burning building. Oh, I'm talking at the beginning when that, when that ball oh. runs into the street, when he's trying to deliver those pizzas. I understand that. What I'm saying is, like, it doesn't make sense to me that kids are just going to run out in the middle of the street without their parents. Like, and throughout these films, all I see is, like, kids in trouble and the parents are like, hey, Spider-Man, go save my kid from this burning building. I have no idea why I left my kid there. But, you know, that that's what I'm saying, context versus execution. Like, I, okay, I yeah, like yeah, yeah. that. I see what you're saying. I like that he saved the kids, but the, the context is like, okay, why are kids running into the street after? in New York traffic with a ball. 
I don't know. That kind of stuff bugs me. Like even in Wonder Woman eighty four, and I get that's kind of the same over dramatization like thing like here, but still it it bugs me. I don't know. But I let I just, it. I let it go. You know, eat your vegetables, kids, and you know, stay out of the street. You know. Yeah. I, like I, see, I like that. Like that kind of stuff. It's it's definitely two thousand and four movie. You know, like. It's definitely like an early 2000s movie when when that yeah. kind of stuff gets brought up and you're like yeah, it's not stuff you'd hear like uh nowadays. You you wouldn't really I don't think you'd hear much of that unless it's Spider-Man in some capacity, but like it's it's pure comic book like like the last movie. It's yeah. It's a very camp comic book movie and it's set in its own world and it, you could like it's it's not our our world. <laughs> Oh yeah, and the movie like like if there's a lot of people that won't notice it, and but I noticed it because I am I am a literature poem fanatic. Um, this movie, if and if you know it, this movie kind of beats you over the head, trying to let you know that this isn't the same world. Um, yeah, with like how they talk and allude to stuff. But right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good. I just, I just like the whole like, hey, no playing in the streets. This just seems like a very Spider-Man thing to to do. Like, when oh, you yeah. save a kid. Like, hey, don't don't play in the streets, kid. What are you doing? Oh yeah, it's definitely like you know the Superman thing. It's you know America's darling kind of thing. And yeah. I do, I do, regardless of like the context of some of this stuff. Like, oh, pizza yard and him not swinging and uh, like saving the kids. I do love this entire sequence all the way up to the mop closet. And I, you know, I don't know if you want to get there yet, but I don't know how many takes that took. But I feel like somebody was in the closet pushing the mops back out and pissing off Tobey Maguire. Oh, I, I, just, I don't doubt it. I feel like that. <laughs> I don't doubt that's what, <laughs> what was happening, that there's somebody in the closet pushing brooms out. Um, To, to go off of pissing Tobey Maguire off. So <laughs> he, he was reportedly just... Apparently not liked on set for some reason. Like James Franco called him, like compared him to like a frog or something like that, and they caught that caused a rift God. between the two of them. Uh, Imagine Joe Manganiello James Franco not liking you. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, Joe Manganiello was apparently offered a hundred dollars to actually punch him in the face in the last the last movie. <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, and he's just he like couldn't even he couldn't hit Pewdie Peter Parker. He's not gonna hit Tobey Maguire. And then like apparently, well, if you ever look at any of the behind the scenes stuff, like when he's racing, first of all, pizza time. <laughs> Secondly, uh, he also I think I really like the part where he like webs that slice back. I'm I'm going on a tangent right now. When he webs no, that slice fine. back from that guy who tries to steal it out of the box, and then like you see him like pull the webbing off. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 was a really cool touch, but I do I like and, that. And the, even but they better, cut that in the theatrical version. That's so stupid. There's a lot of things in 2.1 that I think make the pacing better aside from the Mary Jane scene which we'll get to. Um but one other little touch that kind of adds to that dimension is like after he delivers the pizza, he's walking back to the janitor's closet and she goes elevator. You know. Yeah. It's just it's it's small <laughs> things. It's small things like it's that. The, and this it's whole small things, yeah. This whole opening, like, I think some of it's just stupid and unpractical, but this is the part of the movie always, every time I watch it, that I just sit back and I go, I have I really enjoy this. Even to the, like, even there's a point where after he gets back and, like, he gets fired 
and the pizza shop owner rips the sticker off of his helmet. And I'm like, that's stupid and silly and nobody would do that. And you shouldn't do that. But, you know, you know, I enjoy but they it. keep that sticker continuity into the, the third movie. Yeah. Which it's, I, small th- I, it's it's the things that like connect them together that I really like is yeah like those small things. I completely forgot what I was what I was gonna freaking say. The small things make the big picture. I just appreciate that. Yeah. Um, also, again, too many people know that he's Spider Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> like when he runs into that that alley and then he like webs out with the pizza boxes and he's like no. that guy goes whoa that guy stole, that dude stole that guy's pizzas what a performance no. from that one guy his one line reading oh my like, god no that you that's not my first thought is oh that guy's spider-man trying to like make that. a living it's literally like the last film you know he he webs those two people during the festival and saves them i would literally be standing there like that spider-man and I would yeah, stalk that's definitely him. Spider-Man. <laughs> it's like the, ju- you know, not to jump ahead, you know, two hours. It's like that Junker when he finds a suit in the, the trash can. He's like, ah. And I don't know why he sounds like he's from Wisconsin or Minnesota. It just cracks me up. I, he's like, I like I it. Found, I found this in the garbage. And I'm like, I found okay, it in dude. in the garbage. How do you know that's not like cosplay or something, you know? <laughs> that, I, I, you, you sent me that message the other day, like Spider-Man cosplay, and I couldn't well, stop laughing. Well, it's funny because you were like, I have some plot holes with this movie, and I was just listing off a bunch that I thought of. Because I don't generally look at plot holes. Here's the thing. If I like the characters, I can forgive a lot. Like we talked about Rise of Skywalker in the last episode. I love the characters, so I can forgive a whole bunch but I don't like the characters in these movies, so every little thing I look at is like, I don't like that. I'm not feeling that. You're talking so plot. Cool. If we're going to talk plot holes, this is this is my biggest pet peeve of this movie. He loses his powers for absolutely no reason. Like He gets sad. He gets sad. That's why he loses his powers. He can't get the girl, even though Mary Jane threw herself at him in the la- at the end of I, the last movie, and they mention it. They literally mention it in the movie. I want to talk about that following scene. Right, Peter goes to Aunt May's house. Um, what's the occasion? Oh, Peter, it's your birthday. Blah blah blah. And then you know Harry's nice and cordial. And my wife said this. I did not say this. So anybody listening, don't shit on me. My wife said, I don't know who the dress designer was from the first to the second one, but Mary Jane is so dressed down in this movie. She just looks sickly. And I was like, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, but, you know, everybody's being nice and cordial. And, of course, Aunt May takes MJ into the, 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 the kitchen, and Harry's talking about how much she's waiting for him right in front of her face of course you obviously can't hear in an old decrepit house that has echoes everywhere and wallpaper up um (laughs) and all of a sudden he just turns he's like oh yeah you still taking pictures of that guy i want to kill that guy and i'm like dude what and he's like well i just want us to be friends harry and then he stands up and you know he like can i say i think it's a little bit weird that Aunt May has a picture of both Norman Osborn and just Peter in a in a photo frame in her house. It's so I think stupid. that's a bit it, of a weird touch. And like it, you know, it's not like him, Harry, and Peter, but it's it's just Norman and Peter. 
Yeah, and I don't know if that's because Norman's dead and she's sentimental because she's old. I have no idea, but I really hate that. You know, he's being an asshole, and that I said in the first movie, he was never a good friend. He's an asshole, and in this one, he's being an asshole, and then he stands up, looks at that picture, pretends to apologize, or actually genuinely apologizes, and then throws a slight at him, and he's like, well, you know my father loved you. He loved you like a, like a, like his son, and I'm just like, come on, dude. Stop being passive-aggressive. Like, Yeah, he's... <laughs> he's such a piece of crap and that's my biggest problem with these movies is like even the following scene okay i'm gonna go off on a tangent the following scene peter takes out the trash right mj's sitting on her Mm -hmm. steps waiting for peter obviously it's a it's a remap of the last scene from the previous movie and it's a really touching scene and honestly is i will say that re-watching it and she's like well you know you need to come and see me because you're the one who got me into all this and he's like yeah i know oh boy yeah you know that famous line oh boy yeah what and then she touches his hand and there's a genuine moment and i think it's the best acting in the movie from toby mcguire it's where she touches his face and he has like the sincere emotion on his face Mm -hmm. and then the moment that that goes away she turns around and says i'm dating somebody now and then he immediately goes, yeah, I'm going to come to your play. I'm like, that's emotional abuse, my lady, my dude. Come on. And at the very end of the film, there's a moment where MJ goes, can't you respect me enough to m- let me make my own decisions? And I'm like, MJ, you didn't do that for Peter the entire film. And that's, Yeah, that's, it's... That's my biggest problem with Mary, this movie. Mary Jane is written just so poorly and so... That's my problem. Like, that's why I think Emma Stone just took, like, whoever wrote the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I'll have to look that up when we get there. But, like, whoever wrote those movies, I have to give them a freaking round of applause because they actually made the female lead an actual character, not just, like, a plot device. Even MJ in the new movies. Like, I love her. I love yeah, her. Yeah, like to they're death. actually written as characters, but MJ, Mary Jane, written in these movies are just. It's it's literally taking Hamlet's to be or not to be and literally throwing it down a freaking garbage and the, disposal. And the movie alludes to that several times. It alludes yeah. to like it alludes to this this movie being, um, and we'll get there when Otto's introduced. But this movie alludes to using great epic poems like that in order to move these themes along but it's just done so poorly and also in the amazing spider-man movies the chemistry between andrew and emma not only is it the best chemistry like in any romance movie ever but a lot of a lot of it was um oh i just drew a blank um they made it up on the spot like they were just like y'all do y'all thing, and then they did it like come on it's 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 weird knowing that I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's weird no, knowing good. that, like, every Spider-Man movie production, like, the 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 main lead, the, the male lead and the female lead always are, like, dating at this point, like, in real life. Like, Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire dated while making the first movie. Yeah. At this point, they were already, like, broken up, I, I believe. But, like, I don't get any sense of chemistry between them at all besides the fact that their names are mary jane and peter and in the comics they're together like there is just there is no interpersonal chemistry there's no reason why peter should be in love with this girl 
at all because like later on in the movie when he loses his powers he he goes to mary jane's play finally and he's like let's pick up where we left off and he's like mary jane even says like you can't get back on where you where we never got off you know like you can't do anything when it never started which yeah, yeah you can't because that makes sense but like then he's just like what do you what do you mean like I said no to you, and now you're saying no to me? Are you kidding me? Like, you threw yourself at me earlier, but she's like, yeah, but I'm also trying to get married. Yeah. Yeah, I just... There's even a moment where later on, again, skipping forward, because it illustrates my problem with these movies, context versus execution, right? Mary Jane kisses Jameson's son, right? The upside-down kiss. They do the Spider-Man upside-down kiss, and he's loving it. Context... Okay, she's trying to decide whether she's really in love with this guy. Execution, why the hell is she thinking about another guy while doing this with this guy? In my mind, I'm like, that is just, (laughs) that is some next level manipulation sorcery. I mean, even to the extent that she walks out on the altar, literally, you know. Yeah, well then she tries to kiss Peter in the cafe. And I'm like, this chick can't stick with one guy in a movie. And even with that, you know, even though I don't like that extra scene with MJ and her friend because it has no purpose because it's redundant, you know, she's like, why can't this be a love story? And I'm like, well, y'all aren't writing the love story good. And the the type of love story you're thinking of is running out on the altar by manipulating two men into making a choice that you want instead of being able to be like, no, this is the life that I want, you know? Right. If, if, if. If you're going to, and I'm a man saying this, if you're going to write a woman better than that, then PJ reject, uh, uh, that Pete, Peter Parker rejects her. Peter Parker. Yeah. I I kept saying, wanting to say PP, um, Peter Parker (laughs) (laughs) rejects her. And then she says, you know what? I'm better than that. And then, you know, she goes out and she does her own thing and she doesn't think about Peter. Now she's really in love with Peter. You know what you do? Peter, you already know I love you, and I'm waiting for you. Don't get another man to try to admit something that he doesn't want to admit. Or another person. That's just that's manipulation. Yeah, She's gaslighting she, him. Like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, my God. It's just like, you know where I got all my like red flags from like dating from? This movie. This movie. <laughs> if, if I dated somebody and they were like, hey, I love you, and it was two weeks into our relationship, I'm like, I don't know. I'm pump the brakes on that and then every other day after that hey do you love me tell me you love me i'm mad that you don't love me i'm like "Ah, i'm sorry i don't know what to say there (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know how to be cordial about this i'm not peter parker you know right oh just oh oh boy yeah (laughs) oh boy yeah okay let's let's move on from this because there's a bunch of this it's just like this movie has I listen this movie doesn't set up like future sequels like at all it's a very contained story which I commend it for but it's got about as many plots running through this movie as the amazing spider-man 2 does and people don't like the the latter it's got the same amount of plots as like iron man 2 and people people don't like the latter and I think those two movies have better characters in them like better written you know, I have. Well, I got my issues with Iron Man too, but like, <laughs> I do too. But I, I, you know, I still like the characters. You know what I mean? I went to my word. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but like this, 
it's just got so many running plots and so many holes that are you can poke into them. It, I read her poetry. Tell a girl that you like her because you read her poetry. Peter, we, we know you like Mary Jane. Mar we know Mary Jane likes you. She threw herself at you in the last movie, and you said, nah, I'm Spider-Man. I can't do that, which I, I commend you for. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. And I, 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 com I commend Peter for that. You know, like, I'm, I'm choosing the responsibility of being Spider-Man. You know, that's the whole the whole premise of the first movie. And now this one, he's like, I can't even balance being Peter Parker right now. And I have to be Spider-Man and I'm, I'm having a hard time. And I love the struggle of Peter trying to balance his life out in, in this movie. I do like that. But the fact of, I want to tell Mary Jane how I feel. And then I tell her how I feel. And then she turns me down this time. But we know what's going to happen. Like, we're not stupid. <laughs> you know what I love about Gwen Stacy and Andrew's part, Peter, is Andrew tells her. Um, and not only that, um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, MJ figures it out. Yeah. Like, c come on. Like, add some dimension there. You know, put two and two together. Like, right. how is it that Peter's there one second and saves you in the, the first movie? You know, how is it that Peter's like, oh, I know him and he talked about you. Come on, use your brain a little bit. You're not Ash Ketchum season one of Pokemon, okay? You're not <laughs> stupid. You're smarter than the writers are giving you credit for. Like, get some input. And I know Kirsten Dunst had, like, problems in Hollywood. Like, she's talked about it openly, about mm -hmm. having to be, you know, the the dumb person, the dumb beautiful woman. And, like, mm -hmm. if you see her today, she looks nothing like this and for the better. Exactly, but, yeah. She's a but, good actress, but she's just written so poorly in this oh yeah and i i do have some notes on poetry i don't know if you want to go over this movie as per the notes um but i do have hey, some notes whatever you got. My, ne my next one's uh when he meets mr ditkovich um named after which, steve ditko yep co-creator yep, of spider-man which is great you have rent I'm sorry. What's sorry? The sorry pay rent? Can I spend it? You know, uh, but I will say the the downside to this scene, and I feel like this is this one scene is the epitome of this entire movie. You have a good scene between two seemingly fleshed out characters, and you have a dumb blonde in the back burning down the kitchen. Like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> and she's a sweet character. Like, we see that later in the movie. She's the only person in this entire movie who pays Peter any mind, it's a serious gesture of like humanity. There's human mm -hmm. humanity in that. And the first impression we get of her is that she's dumb, you know? And yeah. it's like, ah, man. And then, um, I don't know if you have any notes after this, but it immediately cuts to Otto's apartment. And I'm like, why are they doing this experiment in an apartment? Uh, Speaking of that experiment, yeah, first of all, why are you holding yeah. it in your apartment? Why is it not at some facility? Two, this is his first time doing it. Yep. There are no pinholes in his back from these, these, these back arms. Back to formula. He, he should have test trialed this at least at some point. Like, I get the tritium thing, but, like, that's artificial intelligence in 2004 that you're working yep. with. Why are you not trying to, like, make sure it works? Like, my only my only <clears throat> suggestion, and I'm not going to tell Sam Raimi how to do his job, have a small conversation between Peter 
talking to Harry about how this kind of seems dangerous. And Harry goes, yeah, well, we, you know, we cut some corners, you know, we couldn't get the permit to, you know, do it out in the open or um, couldn't get the export license for this or that, you know, something like that. Because I don't feel, again, I feel like these characters are smarter than that. If a, if a college damn near dropout Peter Parker says, hey, I think this is kind of dangerous. And a guy who seemingly has a PhD, multiple PhDs, and is on his way to win the Nobel Prize. See you in Sweden. Um, I feel like he'd be more self-aware than that. Just because it's your, if it's your life's work, you're going to protect your life's work. And, you know, ironically, um, not to say that his wife was his life's work, but he <laughs> lost that too by being so short-sighted. Mm-hmm. So it's, it just it boggles me. Um, I do have a note. Um, the following scene, there is a conversation between him, um, his wife. I, I always forget. His, is it Ruby? Is that uh, is that it? Rose. Rose. I don't know why I said Ruby. Um, and him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they have a genuine talk. You know, there's a weird line that's like, do you have a girlfriend, Peter? Which is just that's not tabletop conversation. That's just weird. Um, but they do have a genuine conversation, Rose and Auto, where he's like, well, you know, T.S. Eliot's more complicated than advanced physics. And funny enough about that. So have you ever read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock? I have not. Okay. So for not to mansplain to you, but for like anybody listening, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is a um, a long poem, a very beautiful poem by the one and only T.S. Eliot. And it starts off with uh, a foreword in Latin. Uh, describing a verse from Dante's Inferno. And the entire poem is about this man named J. Alfred Prufrock who walks through the streets of this town trying to get to the party, a party. And he gets to the party, and he's about to knock on the door, and he has social anxiety about, well, what if I go in? And people say, well, I'm getting too old. My tie is not fixed properly, and there's a beautiful lady there, and she turns me down. You know, do I dare disturb the universe? And then the entire poem goes on and on and on about, well, if he doesn't do this, then he's just going to um, die alone and sad. And that's kind of like the whole premise of the poem. But there is a part of the poem that I did want to read, uh-huh. um, if you'll all oblige me. It, the poem starts off by one of the best verses ever. It says, Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. So you immediately get like the tone of uh, the, 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 the poem itself. But there's, um, there's a part. It says, Shall I say, I have gone at dusk through the narrow streets and watched the smoke that rises from the pipes of lonely men in shirt sleeves leaning out of the windows. And then it says... I should have been a pair of rugged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. And I was just like, oh, well, there's uh, there's Otto Octavius's fate um, yeah. at, the, at the end of this movie. And also a small note for the poem, you know, you should read a woman poetry because every woman loves poetry. My wife hates poetry. I tried to get her into T.S. Eliot, and you know what she says? I'm, I'm too tired for this. I'd rather so, learn advanced science. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I'm too tired for this, she said. And I said, no, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock is the most beautiful thing I've ever ever read in my life. Like, it literally ends with it saying, um, 
I have seen the riding uh, seaward on wa- on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves br- blown back. When the wind blows, the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed in seaweed, red and brown, till human voices wake us and we drown. So, like, this is just a complicated... It's it, The poem literally says, I have measured out my life in coffee spoons. This is a poem about anxiety. It's beautiful. And um, the poem that po- uh, Peter reads, the day-by-day poem, is, if mm-hmm. I mess this up, apologies to anybody who is a super poet literature major. I am not. I just happen... Uh, to read this last night. It's called The the Song of Hiawatha. It's about uh, Hiawatha, an indigenous boy, who does great deeds and creates reading and writing and performs miracles. Eventually, he has to take down uh, the one who is the destroyer of his path, Paupukquikis. Eventually, the winter kills his mom. He feels like he has nothing left, and he leaves the village to the white people us um, which doesn't okay. turn out too well historically um, and he gets in his canoe and leaves leaves the people behind um, and a note that I made because I was trying to figure out the context and I'm like well he never finished the poem he's actually trying to tell MJ who he is without telling her who he is again not every woman likes poetry so right. I, but you'd think with MJ's not Shakespearean background because yeah. i don't think any of the plays that they ever said that she's done is shakespeare but like you'd think with a more theater background wanting to act and do stuff you'd get that a little bit you think although but... i'm also i'm also contradicting myself by saying that because i did not know that and i'm not super i i've not done the background research on t.s Eliot. <laughs> so, so i do and i do have actor, a question so. From somebody who does have a theater background. So when Peter shows up to the play, right? Yeah. And of course we have that legendary cameo. Basically tells Peter to show up. Oh, the, the one where he's away. the the one where he's later, the one where he actually shows up on time. Yes. Yes. Um and he says, Hey, I have a ticket and he's like, The show's already started. In my mind I was like, There are intermissions, yes. Yeah, but I don't Or is this like a It like depends a on the play, I guess. Yeah. It depends on how the theater wants to do the play like uh the one i'm doing right now uh we're not going to have an intermission um but other other plays that we've done yeah you have an intermission in between because it's longer it it all depends on how the director wants to do it how how much time the play actually takes like if it's a three hour long play i I wouldn't want to sit there for three hours all the time um, I mean, I'll sit there for a movie 90% of the time, but I can do that at home. I can take a bathroom break. I can pause it. Um, so you make your own intermissions when watching yeah. stuff at home. But, like, it, it really depends on who the director is, where you're performing it, etc. And I, I th- really... I, I'm pretty sure. I really hate... Okay, so context versus execution again, right? So Peter waits <coughs> outside the movie theater to apologize to MJ and be like, oh, the, the guy up front was a jerk, whatever, right? And he sees MJ walk out, and here comes Mr. Um, Son of Jameson, right? Yep. Come on. Come on. It, it, Peter said he was going to be there. What? <laughs> oh, God. It's just stuff like that, man. And, also, and I really like the phone call he makes after that. I'm sorry, I cut you off this time. No, no, go ahead. The phone call he makes at, when he goes to the payphone, 
and he's just like, I'm, uh, there was this usher, I was on my bike, and someone really needs to tell that usher to not be a, a, a dick. <laughs> and it, and then he gets the dial tone of, your time has expired, please insert 50 cents. For the next five minutes, he left a five-minute voicemail and was about to continue going. Like, keep going. Yeah. Like, that's... That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. And it's... and you don't even see a five-minute conversation there. It's like a minute, if that. Again, it's, it's you know, Peter not knowing how to tell MJ. And, you know, like like I brought up, you know, it's, you know, he reads that long convoluted poem, which I hadn't even heard of, in order to try to tell MJ. He's, he's overthinking everything, and his anxiety turns into him losing his powers. But... Um, if we could go back one moment, because I don't yeah. want to overlook the introduction of Otto Octavius. Um, yes, because it is great. Um, ah, you're um, you're Connor's student. He tells me you're brilliant, but lazy. I'm trying to do better. Like, come on. Well, and you know, he's like, what does he say? He's like, um, trying's not a not a thing. If you have a good, you need to use it for the good of mankind. Um. Being smart isn't a gift, it's a privilege. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that, man, immediately sold me on Alfred Molina as Doc Ock because he is so good in this movie. And seeing them so for for a split second bounce off each other and talk about science the way that they did, it's just, ah, so good, man. Yeah, and they also, like, they intercut the conversation that they have, and he's just like, Peter, what have we been talking about for an hour and a half? How many times have you had that con- the same conversation? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I mean, still, if if you're telling something to somebody who somewhat knows what they're talking about, because Peter's not stupid and they have doubts and worries, you know, you should take those worries into account. It's right. You know, it's being nearsighted. It's almost like I feel like to use this as an example, Tony Stark's like the the further of the extreme, you know, it's. It's like he never really thought about what his legacy or how his legacy would impact people. Mm-hmm. And once he got the slight sniff or the slight worry that something did, he nipped it in the bud immediately and turned mm-hmm. it into an extreme. And instead of Doc Ock being able to turn it into his own extreme to help the betterment of mankind, instead you have these this artificial intelligence taking control of you. So it's like an extreme of that situation, I feel like. But... But again, auto smarter than that. I want to get into some fun facts really quick because Do it. because Peter he was going to be going through like that ex- existential crisis, but apparently it's also been stated that it originally was going to be like another chip. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the Return of the Joker movie, the animated oh, movie that, from Batman Beyond. Is that yes, yes? Uh, it's one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Yeah, it's so good. So. So, like, you know how Tim Drake has, like, the, the chip on the back of his neck that make, turns him into the Joker? Spoiler alert for a movie that came out in, like, the 90s? Yeah. Or early 2000s? Um, but he has a chip in the back of his neck that turns Tim Drake into, into the Joker. Well, uh, this movie, Peter was going to be fighting Doc Ock, and apparently he was supposed to get a inhibitor chip put on his neck to subdue his powers. Oh, that sounds familiar. 
Yeah, so like the same inhibitor chip that would have been like giving Doc Ock arms, like their artificial intelligence, it would have uh, drained Peter's power so he wouldn't have been able to use them. Apparently, oh, that's a thing. That's oh, that's so something I've heard. I can't. Okay. That that's uh, that's a thing that I I read somewhere. I can't find where I read it though. <clears throat> so you said um, that my first assumption was that Peter created an inhib- an inhibitor chip in order to, um, like fix Doc Ock, like in No Way Home. That was my first thought when you said it. No, 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 no. He that like that they were going to be fighting, and he was going to. Doc Ock was going to, like, slap one on his neck or something like that. Or it, It's all about chips. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't go that way. That I mean, that'd be something else they'd have to explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and apparently, I don't know if it was for this movie or if it was for when they originally wanted, for the original post credit scene of Iron Man where they were making references to the wider Marvel universe. Yeah. Um, apparently, Tony Stark and Stark Industries were going to be the developer of Otto Octavius's arms from Spider-Man 2, which is the Makes movie sense. we watched. But I wonder how many MCU fans would have been pissed <laughs> that oh, Tony Stark man. is making Spider-Man villains again. Well, yeah. And, you know, I think, that, you know, to dive into that tangent real fast, I think it's really smart how they've done it. Like, a lot of people, like, kind of complain about Iron Man Jr., which I think is just overblown and over preposterous exactly it's 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 spider-man recognizing and coming to face with the consequences of tony stark to learn to be who he is not like imagine like tony just dying and he's like well you know i guess tony was a bad guy i'll never be like him no instead he has to literally fight you know the ghost of christmas past in order to become spider-man you know so that's a small tangent. We'll get in more about it in 30 years, but I thought I'd you know throw my <laughs> thoughts out there real fast. So if you're like one of those Iron Man Junior boys, you're gonna get roasted. You know what I'm saying? I don't. Yeah. I I have no sympathy <laughs> for people like that. That that crap doesn't make any sense to me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I thought that was a really weird thing to have. I th- I thought that was interesting that they wanted to have Tony Stark be uh, a th- character in a franchise that they didn't even have access to. Yeah, that's why that post credit scene was, you know, knocked out. Like, you know, especially with Nick Fury being like, you know, with all these superheroes, you got, uh, does he say Spider-Man verbatim or does he says a guy with webs? Because that was cut. That was yeah, released at the I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a guy with webs and they reference mutants, like directly. They say mutants, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And like they were going to cross everything over. And I'm really glad that they did didn't there's a lot of aspects about these movies that i would have loved to see in like a wider marvel universe but i'm kind of glad that they're on their own yeah i mean me too because iron man 2 is a bit of a mess already yeah and i didn't need iron man 3 to be an even bigger mess than that so thankfully um Uh, oh no also also i wanted to touch on like the the disaster scene or the the project gone wrong um, first off, uh, there was a moment in where a woman asked about his inhibitor chip and it immediately reminded me of the one girl who plays, uh, in Batman Returns and Batman and Robin where he's like, but Mr. Wayne, how blah, 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 blah. And then Mr. <laughs> Wayne's like, yeah, how right you are. Cause, cause she was like, well, what about the yeah. inhibitor chip on the back of your neck? I'm like, stop. But no. How please, right you no. are. How right you are. <laughs> how right you are. But there's a lot of good framing <laughs> like in this scene 
and pertain to Otto Octavius and how he views himself and how he views the world. Like there's a throwaway shot that a lot of people would consider a throwaway shot where, you know, he's looking at the sun or the, the, the sun he now created. And of course he says the power of the sun in the palm of my hands, which is called back beautifully, beautifully years and years later. I mean, just beautifully. Um, but, but the, the camera is on his glasses and you see the reflection of the sun. Yeah. I really like that. And you immediately see what kind of person that he is because his eyes are blacked out and you immediately see like, not necessarily the lack of humanity, but where his true motives lie. And it's not necessarily in, making humanity better necessarily but it's all in like the project it's all in what he creates and that's kind of the mad scientist it it immediately tells you he's a bit of a mad scientist without saying no that mad scientist over there some really really good framing and i appreciate some stuff like that yeah i I really like that 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 bit i i I, I, oh i'm always flawed it uh floored with that just because it's like it's the battle between light and dark that he does through at the end of the movie. Yep. I really like that. Um, Solid stuff. And then Ruby dying. Oh man. How she Rose. dies is terrible. Uh, <laughs> Rosie. <laughs> how have I seen these movies so many times and I get, it's my ADHD. I'm, I'll blame you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the way she dies and then showing her body uh, non shredded up. It's kind of like, yeah. just don't show her body. We, we understand, you know? Yeah. Like we knew she died. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tommy McGuire was apparently fired due to reports of him faking a back injury for a larger pay raise in this movie. And My back. future, future Spider-Man villain Jake Gyllenhaal was lined up to play Spider-Man and he'd already begun preparation. But McGuire decided to take part after all. Uh, however, according to the DVD commentary, the My Back joke after Peter falls uh, from the roof was purely coincidental. This is from IMDb. I just want to say I'm reading off of IMDb. Uh, it was oh, purely man. coincidental. As so, it was written into the script before Maguire's problem arose, Maguire apologized to the studio execs and got his role back. Jalen Hall would go on to play Spider-Man's enemy Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. As immediate Jake Gyllenhaal stan, um, um, what's that one movie? Night, um, Night of... J- J- Damn it. It's where he's like the cameraman. Uh, Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler. There we go. I'm a Jake Gyllenhaal stan, okay? If if they casted him as a Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, I love this movie, okay? I, I don't... Here's here's the thing. I'm not shitting on Tobey Maguire, but Jake Gyllenhaal is that guy. He's that dude, okay? Him and Mysterio in Far From Home, better than anything Tobey Maguire in these movies. I'll stand by it. Fight me. Fist the cuffs. Let's go. I'm not going to fight you because we're how many states away? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm yelling what, from Texas. Can you imagine if Jake Gyllenhaal would have replaced Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, been cast as Mysterio for Far From Home, and then the way that No Way Home turned out? Can you imagine the trust issues Peter would have had? Tom Holland, Peter would have had. Oh, great storytelling, man! Like, that would have and- been insane. That would have made like the Loki show callbacks so much more prevalent. Oh man. And Feige's that dude too. He, he will do he it. He is like, that you, dude. You know, the John, uh, John was it John Cranston, uh, not John Cranston. Um, uh, Mr. Fantastic, like that cameo. Like if that's true, Feige is that dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like imagine say they do Spider-Man 2099, right. In the multiverse in the MCU. And it's Jake Gyllenhaal. 
I would want Oscar Isaac, to be honest. I want... Well, you, you know. I mean, there's multiple Spider-Man, you know. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, like, that would really Isaac connect would their... Great. That would really connect their, like, Spider-Verse... Because Sony still owns that character. But, oh, like... Because, yeah. like, having that, that Across the Spider-Verse movie be kind of it's still its own thing, that'd be great connection between the live-action and animated things all together. I think that'd Here, be great. Here's what I want, right? I want another Spider-Man trilogy, but in the finale of the Spider-Man trilogy, you have all the characters from the animated and games come into live action. And we know who there are because we're not stupid. So you got Miles Morales, you got, you know, Spider-Stacy, Spider-Gwen, you got 2099, you got PS4 Spider-Man. Like, come on. Let's let's bump it up a notch. Let's, Let's do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have any more I trivia be, so I don't interrupt you? Sorry. <laughs> I got um that sweet train sequence in the movie. Filmed first, right? Was the very first thing to be filmed, and it was Raimi's idea. I can tell because there's a lot of that, stuff that went into that. That scene it's like is he, great. He's like, I have an idea for what I want to do with this, and I'm going to do it. By the way, um, the extended version of that fight, um, why they cut it, I get that it was a little bit extra violent. Um, he gets whacked by a train and that's why he passes out so easily (laughs) which which makes sense and not only does it make sense but it flows so much better because originally you would have spider-man standing there and then doc ock grabbing two of the civilians and then throwing them which makes Mm -hmm. no sense to me if spider-man's just standing there it makes sense from context where he was from afar so you know it's just little things like that in this little 2.1 edit yeah, I just that's why I always watch this one over the theatrical version. Like I'll always watch like a director's cut usually over the theatrical. I'll I'll do that for th- when I watch man uh the BVS, I'll watch I'll always watch the ultimate edition, I'll never watch the theatrical oh, version. Yeah. I'll always like Watchmen by Zack Snyder. <laughs> oh yeah, the ultimate cut, the ultimate super magnificent cut with uh the Tales of the Black Spire. Ah, uh, see, I don't, I don't care about. I that. I don't like that one. I don't like that one either. And Zach actually doesn't like that one either. I know, but um, th- they I'll, added I'll it because Gerard Butler. Yeah, he wanted a part for Gerard Butler, and that's just how it turned out. I'll just, I'll always watch a director's cut over the theatrical because that's what was originally meant to be seen. It may not always be better. It may not always flow the greatest, but it was, it's what is meant. Like and I Eternals. like seeing the extra stuff. Like the Eternals, have you seen it yet? Of course. That's a three and a half hour long movie that was cut to two forty five, and mm-hmm. I feel it in every bone of my body. And I, I, I'm gonna say it just before we even get there. Two years, three years down the road, I, I hate the movie, and it could have used that extra thirty, forty minutes. I don't care. Give me three and a half. The Batman's about to be three hours. Come on. Yeah, I know. Just give I it know. to me. Like, oh my god. Stuff like it's that. just so it's, they make more in the box office. You, the less time it takes, the more seats you get filled, yeah. per, you get more showings. Which, um, you know, if that's the case, then just release <clears throat> an Ultimate Edition on DVD. You know, that sells more because it's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. There's a reason why, like, Man of Steel and BVS are, like, the highest bought Blu-rays of all time. Yeah. You know, it, it's marketing. It makes sense. Um, Danny Elfman, who composed this movie had a falling out with Raimi during the course of the film and has been quoted saying 
To see such a profound negative change in a human being was almost enough to make me feel like I didn't want to make films anymore. But Raimi and Elfman have since uh, reunited again, and they worked together on the movie Oz the Great and Powerful in 2013. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it. I don't care to see it. Not my. I don't need to see any other origin story for The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz is great as it is. <laughs> yep terrifying and i'm not sure how true this is but i saw that composer christopher young was called in at the very last minute to rescore the movie and i think there's a bit it's the it's that bit where he saves that girl from the burning building the apartment building that i was listening very closely to it and it sounds a lot like some of the theme music that he that is used in spider-man 3 which christopher young did score and it's very, it seems like that kind of style. And I'm like, did he, did he do that? Did he, is this true? <laughs> I don't Honestly, know how true it is. I can't find I, any other sources saying that it is, but I'm like, it sounds completely different from the rest of the score. Here's what I'll say, uh, you know, and I didn't notice that honestly, because I'm not like, I'm not like a Danny Elfman guy. Here's what I'll say like about Danny Elfman. I don't think. You know, he could say that about Raimi, which I'm not a fan of Raimi, but Danny Elfman is, like, no better, especially recently with, like, all the Justice League stuff and all that nonsense about ragging on, you know, Hans Zimmer's yeah. and uh, uh, Junkie XL's score. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, Danny. Like, I, I get that you can create a great Batman theme and a Spider-Man theme. Like, you've done some great stuff. But if I just listen to the entire movie, you're to me, he doesn't add much to these movies. Like, mm-hmm. the action has to speak for itself before anything. Like, mm-hmm. And that's my biggest problem with him, is he's great great at, like, triumphant themes and original orchestral themes like that, like a John Williams, right? But yeah, the, the difference between the two is John Williams can write the hell out of anything, and Danny yeah. Elfman can't put the rest together. And that... And I feel that throughout this trilogy. I actually prefer the next soundtrack a bit better because I feel like it's more full, like especially with like the Sandman theme. Like mm-hmm. that's the best piece of music in these three films, in my opinion. That's just uh, – I can't wait. <laughs> and so speaking of the parts where he doesn't have his powers, uh, another fun fact I found was that the hot dog that he eats when that fire truck goes by, and the, I think it's um, – it's not during the I don't think it's during the raindrops are falling on my head bit, which I don't I don't care about at all. I it's, don't either. It's it's, it's so two thousands like music video style. I don't I don't like it at all. Um the hot dog that he eats as a fire truck goes by is uh actually a tofu hot dog because Toby McGuire at the time is was a vegetarian and he was vegan since two thousand nine. That's disgusting. Not to but knock on, not to yuck anybody. That physique that. he has for being a vegetarian is off the chart. Like yeah, that's he, actually kind of pretty built. impressive. Like uh, Jared Leto is also, I believe, a, a vegan or a vegetarian, and he gets in shape, and he's fifty. So I expect that from Jared Leto because he's a little bit on the uh, unorthodox side. Yeah, you it's know. true. Not necessarily being vegan or vegetarian, but literally everything else. Um, All right, I got. Two more pieces of trivia that I thought thought was pretty interesting, and then after that, I I got nothing else. Okay, I uh, do still have some notes, so we got this. 
Uh, when Peter dumps his Spider-Man suit in the garbage can, it's obviously an homage to the panel and cover of Spider-Man No More, issue number 50 from the Amazing Spider-Man comic series. Um, he even says it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man No More, correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and the guy who, the trash guy that we talked about earlier in the novelization, the, the I'm pretty sure that guy's supposed to be Namor. <laughs> Is that a Wisconsin name? No, garbage. that's the Submariner. Oh. The Marvel no. character. Oh. <laughs> the Marvel okay. character, the Mariner. The Is Submariner. Is he Wisconsinite? <laughs> no, he's, he's like Atlantean or something like that. Oh, the garbage. I'm sorry. He's supposed to be, get... he's like the first mutant or something like that uh, to be brought to comics or something. I. I <laughs> he's supposed Jesus. to be Namor. Maybe that's why uh, he knew it was Spider-Man's outfit. Also, does Robbie know he's Spider-Man? I swear to God, he does. I mean, he's he, gotta. He, obvious, he obviously knows because he's like, I heard Spider-Man was there, and he gives him this look. And he holds the when he when he goes like, "How the hell did you get that?" And he's like holding the mask, and he like yep. holds it. He pulls it to his chest, and he looks out the window. Like, does he know? It's kind of like Aunt May um, knows. It's kind of like a Perry. Oh my God, I want to talk about that scene. It's kind of like a Perry thing from BVS, you know. Like um, at the end of the movie, you know, you see um, that Clark Kent's dead, but he flips to Superman. Like he knows. Like when um, Lois is like, you know, I need a helicopter, and he's like, Well, we can't, you know, afford it. And you want to do this to chase a piece? And she's like, It's not because of a piece. And he's like, Okay, put it on the roof. On the roof, mm-hmm. Lois. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like that. So I yeah. I definitely think so. Um t- and oh, go ahead, oh, sorry. No, no, no. What were we gonna say? I was gonna talk about that Aunt May scene. I I'll I'll touch on it and after you Okay. Ready. The the last thing I got is the address of Joe's Pizza given in the comics or sorry, is given in the comics as the address of Spider Man's ally Doctor Strange and who gets a name drop mm-hmm. in this movie. <laughs> I mean it's perfect it's perfect setup. Like just that is like unintentional setup. Literally have him fall into the Raimi-verse and then have a movie with Tobey Maguire and Tobey's like, hey, you're that, that wizard from the, or whatever Tobey Maguire sounds like. Oh boy, Th- yeah, or whatever. You're that's that that, that's a rumor, apparently, that Tobey Maguire is going to appear in Multiverse of Madness. I mean, it's got to be because it's Sam Raimi. Like, I feel like it's a no-brainer, right? I feel like it's a no-brainer that Bruce Campbell's going to show up. Bruce Campbell, uh, Can you John... imagine? Okay, so in the Krasinski? story... Sorry. John Krasinski, yeah. The storyboards for Spider-Man 4 has Bruce Campbell be Mysterio, like, before it got completely dropped. That's perfect. Like, it was just going to be, like, one of those throwaway scenes where Bruce Campbell is Mysterio. Can you imagine if, like, Bruce Campbell's actually, like, Doctor Strange or something? Dude, I'm, I am telling you, if you make him a character, you know what you could make him? Um, You could make him Mephisto. Literally, you, make oh him any god, dude. Make him anything like that. People will lose their minds because it makes sense. Like That'd if they be... want to connect these movies, they've connected enough of these movies already. Just you know, just no from the way last home one. alone. Like this is just insane. go balls out with it, dude. Like just do it. <laughs> and Feige, Feige is that guy, man. Like I'm not I... one to be like I'm a fan. Service me, but no, freaking service me. I am here for it. Okay. Yeah, it this, it's gonna be. I wonder if he's gonna try and do that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. At the time of recording this, the movie's not out yet. But like, 
can you just imagine? Because Bruce Campbell is in almost everything that Sam Raimi makes. Yeah, I I want to know if he's in this movie. I've, I want to know I've, so badly if he's going to be in this movie. I've also seen green screens um, and previs for <laughs> Doctor Strange. You know, this is like leakage spoiler stuff. Like, I mean, we're going to casually reference this throughout. So if you're not okay with stuff like this, I'm sorry. Um, there's some previs stuff of Doctor Strange being like locked up in chains and he's being carried to Charles Xavier. Who is sitting there in a chair? I I'm stuff. not gonna trust anything I see anymore until the movie comes out because I, I follow I've one heard, guy. I've, I've heard I've heard enough discourse from when Spider-Man No Way Home was getting put out, and like I followed that stuff to the bit, and it just got exhausting. I just I'm just gonna wait till the movie comes out, and I'll watch it then, and I'll be s- still shocked and happy and scream my ass off in the theater like I did then. I I follow one guy and it's this random account that happened to pop up after or right before No Way Home and spoiled everything before it got announced in theater and his handle is my time to shine hello. Oh, and don't follow. Oh my god. Hold on. Hold on. He he has said so many stuff that's true. But that's the only guy I listen to. Like like I'll I'll look at his stuff and if it's true it's true. All the No Way Home stuff was true. And if it's not, then it's not. But I don't take any of that to heart. You know, I'm just excited for the possibilities. The only reason I don't follow that account is because of everything I've just heard from other movies that he's like, that's not right because there's people who have already like, there's there's an insider that I follow for DC movies just because I want to, I want to know if I'm going to go see the movie or not. (laughs) And so far... I, I don't know. I'm torn between going to see him. Um, it's just, I don't, th- th- he's he's already called out that account so many times, and I'm just like, that, I don't know what to do. I don't want to follow leaks anymore. It's exhausting. It is. Just, I'll watch to go see the movie when it comes out. I'll wait then. Yeah. Marvel I mean, has I, my wallet yeah. till the day I die, so. I mean, yeah, they've they've kind of earned that. Like, DC... Nah, I'm good. Like, I'll watch Black Adam for Dr. Fate, but, like, am I watching Flash? No, I'm not watching The Flash. Am I watching Aquaman? Probably not. I'm kind of, they kind of wore me out because they're stupid and they can't, they're just stupid. But anyway, this is MCU. Um, I do want to hit on that Aunt May scene and how. Yes. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how this is, and first off, he tells her that, you know, he didn't go to the library. Uh, mm-hmm. He went to a wrestling match, and she's obviously traumatized um, yep. for some reason, but she is still traumatized. And then later on, he gets called back to Aunt May because she's moving out of her house, which she mm-hmm. can't afford, of course. Um, and I talked about the over-dramatizations of, like, epic poems and, like, love stories and um, this fanaticism for heroism in this movie and Aunt May literally brings it to a front and she says the worst line in this movie to me personally and she says everybody needs a hero Peter and I'm like damn it man why do you have to do that like I hate being beat over the head like that like make it uh, I just (sighs) hey oh by the way by the way if you're younger let's say your grandson because let's be honest um, is like hey where's my comics at and you're and you say, oh, I feel those dreadful things away, uh, you're the devil. 
don't ever throw away a kid's comic books. I don't care if you bought his comic books when he was five and he hasn't touched them in 20 years. Those hold a special place in his heart. Put them in a box. Give it to him later. Don't throw them away. Like, uh, uh. I also was like, it's to say, okay, so say the, the first movie took place in 2002 because it, you know, it takes place over the course of like months and about a year. Uh, this movie takes place two years after that. So it's, it's roughly 2003, 2004 in, in universe time. There's a lot of comic books that were released in the early two thousands. And when Peter was a kid from the eighties and nineties that are worth a lot of money. And if he owns them, you just gave away hundreds of dollars, maybe more. Yep. That is, that is, Peter could have used that to pay Mr. Ditkovich. And I will tell you how kids operate. Kids will find that one comic book that they read over and over and over again, especially yeah. if they're poor. They'll read that one comic over and over and over again, and they won't touch the other ones. They'll, they'll leave them in their plastic or whatever. They'll just leave them there. Don't That's touch them. I, I, have a, I have a box full of them right behind me right now. I literally have, like, the Star Wars High Republic issue number one still in plastic hanging up. Right here, because I know that'll be worth something in 20 years. Like, I have the the Amazing Spider-Man first issue from Todd McFarlane, and it's plastic yet, and it's got, like, that collector's number one item, whatever, sticker on it, and the yeah. plastic. I I bought that on for half price like at a comic book shop. I just want to get it graded, uh, but that's expensive, I mean, so... Just- don't don't do that. Like I just I don't understand, and I get that like back then. Oh, haha, the boomers. But literally, if you're like a Gen Xer going on boomer, don't do that. Don't be that inconsiderate. Hey, and if if you're listening and you're like our age in your twenties and you have comic books that your parents have, make sure they never touch them. Say I will put you in an old folks home or something. <laughs> because I'm just saying. Jesus. I'm just saying. Like. <laughs> you know, don't, 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 because man, if I had half the stuff that I had when I was a kid, I, you know, I would have a podcast studio or something. Um, <laughs> I do have a couple more notes, of course. Yeah. Um, going back to when um, the operation scene for Doc Ock is the best scene in the movie, um, and my I son cannot watch freaking, it. I freaking love that. Uh, it's such a great scene. And like, um, there's a moment where this dude's trying to cut the claw off with the chainsaw and he gets whacked and he falls and you see the hand in the chainsaw there. There's no blood. However, there are dead references throughout this entire franchise. And I, and I love that. It's great. And, but there's no blood. Um, but there are, um, crimson pieces of glass around him to kind of give the illusion that of course he's bleeding. So it kind of looks like it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a fun note. Also, when Spider-Man slingshots to Doc Ock, um, trying to save Aunt May, and he's about to stab him. If you look at very closely when Spider-Man slingshots, and he like ejects his little spike, and uh, you can see Spider-Man flying at him from Doc Ock's point of view, it literally yeah. looks like a floating JPEG. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it cracked me up. But the CGI um, in this movie is light years above what the last one had. Oh yeah, like, the train to, scene to alone. see how that to see how that uh, technology advanced in only two years, that's impressive. Um, also, I have a note that says, "Who the hell is this doctor?" When he goes um, and says, "I well, I had a dream that I wasn't Spider-Man anymore." Actually, it wasn't even my dream; it was a friend of mine's dream. And the doctor 
wearing this hippie like tie dye shirt underneath t-shirt underneath the jacket is, well, is like well also, you know go ahead i think it's it's a university doctor so i mean like he's probably yeah. like whatever but also like uh how late is it because peter's in sweats yeah i'm pretty sure he goes at night and not during the day i don't know also he's not a he's not a psychiatrist um if you have uh problems with your mental health please do not go see the university doctor okay <laughs> please please go to hr or somebody at your university an admin who can help you get in contact with somebody do not see the university doctor for mental health okay um they should slap that label on this movie do not do it cuz then you're going to get the terrible advice that he gets, which is self-explanatory, I feel like, you yeah. know, and Peter knows this. Peter knows this, but for some reason he needs to hear it from somebody else. Um, just just don't do it. Um, also, I had a finale note for the end of the movie, which ties together all the poems and, you know, everybody needs a hero, Peter. Um, the film tries so hard to tell you that this is the romance of epic poems, but it doesn't end that way because it doesn't, it doesn't romance like the struggle in the end. So what I mean by that is like the entire movie, you're getting beat over the head about these epic poems and the, 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 the love of heroism and things like Mm -hmm. that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, it's not romanticizing being a hero. It's romanticizing being human and making the hard choice, which, you know, is Mm -hmm. a complaint that I have over this movie that I don't feel like it ends or, or that it isn't human or that there's not enough humanity in it because of how like 1990s cornball fest it kind of is. But the movie, the movie ends in that way. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I'm going to argue, I don't like a lot of things in Spider-Man three, but I do feel like in a lot of aspects, that's the most human Spider-Man movie we have out of this trilogy, even though it has some creative decisions that are wild to me. Um, But I will make that argument because it kind of diverges from these two movies a bit. I just have one more – sorry, I, I have one more piece of trivia now that you brought up the end of the movie oh, um, that I completely forgot about. So last week we talked about how Hugh Jackman was supposed to be in Spider-Man 1, but they couldn't uh, get access to the Wolverine costume. And there's a theory going around that everything from like the early 2000s actually all takes place in the same universe – like the X-Men movies, the Ang Lee Hulk, Blade, Spider-Man, oh Tobey Maguire, stuff like that. Like, they all take place in, like, one connective universe, but they just don't interact with each other. Um, and it's also kind of furthered uh, that the Fantastic Four and X-Men movies take place. In, the first two Fantastic Four movies and, and the X-Men take place because there's a deleted scene from the first movie. But that's neither here nor there. Um, in this movie, though, when Mary Jane runs out on her wedding... And she's running through that park with the with the water fountain and everything, and she's running what to Peter's apartment. Terrible you know, romantic shot. I hate that yeah. shot. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> that, <laughs> there's there's one guy. There's one guy in a black jacket that turns around and looks. Do you know who that is? Uh, I didn't even notice it. Okay. Well, when she's running with her wedding dress through the park, and uh, there's a guy who turns around and he looks at her, and he's wearing a black leather jacket, and he's walking through the park. That is, I believe, the stunt double for Thomas Jane, who played the Punisher movie that came out no. the same year. Really? And it's, it's believed to be that the Punisher 
is walking through Central Park or wherever, whatever park that is. And yeah, it's supposed to be the Punisher. I'm going to have to rewatch that scene. That's crazy. Um, I don't even see. I don't even like that Punisher movie that much. But I yeah, think it's that's fine. crazy. I like Warzone better. It's more oh, of yeah. a Punisher movie personally, but but yeah, yeah like apparently, like the Thomas Jane Punisher takes place in the same universe? Question mark. It's ne- <laughs> it's not ever referenced again, obviously, but like it's very blink and you'll miss it. But like he's definitely there. I think the only thing we know for sure is that Charlie Cox is in the MCU and that it's implied that John Berthold's Punisher, to whatever extent, uh, I don't know how they're going to do that, will eventually be in the MCU. Marvel TV is canon. I don't care what anybody says. Well, I mean, I I, I have to think of it as canon because, you know, the first season of Daredevil, they referenced the attack of New York so many times, and those shows are basically built off that. You know, yeah. Who's gonna that's be what Marvel the, TV did, yeah. Yeah, who's gonna be the street level guys when everybody else is fighting aliens? You know. Yeah. So I mean, um, yeah. I mean, we're gonna be covering those too. Um, God help us all, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure out how we're gonna do that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't have any more notes. I think this is a well thought out movie in some filming aspects, but character wise, I just I don't like it. I don't, I don't, I didn't. I grew up on it, but I don't like it to such an extent that I'll rewatch it. Like this is the fourth time I've watched it since No Way Home came out, and I'm like, okay, now it's time to kind of put it down because I'm just worn out of it um i pacing wise i think the 2.1 thing is way better paced i feel like the MJ yeah. scenes a bit redundant um i love alfred molina um don't like toby Maguire, kirsten dunce or james franco and that's my biggest problems with these movies um <laughs> and i think <laughs> i mean you kind of i mean that's the main cast uh, but i do feel like this ends on a note that kind of um, helps Spider-Man 3 a bit because I I think the first hour of Spider-Man 3 is some really, really good stuff. Um, from there, you know, it kind of, you know, Avia Rod kind of sticks his dirty hands in there. but Yeah, but <sighs> it, it is what it is. I, after rewatching it again, I, I like it more than I did when I was younger. I always looked at this movie as like, eh, I don't understand why people say it's the best. Uh, I've definitely got my issues with it, but I do like it. I just wanted to put that out there. You can leave your angry comments wherever this podcast is going to be going up on Spotify, wherever in our reviews, you can say that we're stupid. You can say that we're wrong. It's fine. Your opinion is your opinion. This is our opinion. It is what it is. I, I like it overall. I like all the Spider-Man movies overall in, in some way or another. It's, it is what it is. It's it's a movie from the early 2000s, and it holds a special place in my heart. That's all that matters to me. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, rewatching Superman Returns. It's like, you know, is this a great Superman movie by today's standards? Absolutely not. I, 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 I don't know, but I think it does some things better than the original series. So, like, you know, it, it's take what you get. Do I think the first X-Men is a good movie? No. I don't, but you know, you, it's it's baby steps. Do I think that all these movies, you know, succeeded where the Dark Knight trilogy picked up and took off and paved the way for every other comic book movie 
thus far? Absolutely. Without these movies, those movies wouldn't nearly be as good as they were, honestly. Right. So, and comic book movies now are just above, far beyond, better than anything um, that came before it. If I'm being honest, completely unbridled, just they're they are better. Um, now, if you want to like complain about CGI or stuff like that, that's just I I don't find any merit in that. But whatever, you know what I mean. All right, so I think with that, it's time we wrap it up. You can listen to this podcast, leave us a review on Spotify, uh, tell us what you think. Do you or like Apple this movie? Pod. Or Apple Pod. Wherever you can listen to your podcast, this is where it most likely will be. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Twitter at MCU underscore on underscore repeat, I believe it is. Yes, we'll be in the description. It will be in the description. Uh, do you think this is the best Spider-Man movie? Do you think this is just an all right Spider-Man movie? What do you, what do you, t- tell us what you think. All right. Uh, we all got our opinions and your opinion is correct when it comes to movies because you like what you like. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, sorry to cut you off again. No, keep going. <laughs> um, I had a blank. I drew a blank. He's probably just going to edit this out. Uh, tell us what you think about our format, what we can improve, anything like that. Just keep it civil. If you want to give us a one star and say this format stinks, this is how I think you can improve it, that's totally fine. Criticism's criticism. It doesn't matter. Correct. We're just talking about films that we love, obviously, because if we're just doing this for no reason, it doesn't make any sense. Correct. Next week, we tackle Spider-Man 3. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. It's you know, and and I told you. Um, so, ranking wise, where where would your two Spider Man rankings be thus far? I I have it has to go in order. I I think one I like one a lot more than I do this movie, but I like the villain characterization of Doc Ock over Green Goblin. It's it's a mixed bag, but overall one and then two. I would have to agree. And then next week, it, for you, it's probably just going to stay release order. And I think mine meet 3-1-2, three, two, three, probably. Oh, um, you might be shocked at what I have to say about Spider-Man 3, all right? Like, <laughs> you might be shocked. But everybody will have to wait until next week to hear about it. So stay tuned, and we'll be tackling one of the lowest of lows in Spider-Man. <laughs> Uh, what what what's a popular quote from the the next movie? What's something? What's a popular quote? Uh, yeah, like pizza time or something. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it has one. Oh Jesus! Uh, just insert insert one. music from Peter dancing. And now we're copyright struck because I hit those notes correctly. Sony's gonna get you. All right. Uh, We'll see you next week, guys. See ya.